You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture readings this afternoon are from 1 Corinthians 6 and Revelation 7. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Then we also go to the last book of the Bible, to Revelation 7, where we read verses 9 to 17. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength 
be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will spread His tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's also turn to the Belgic Confession, Article 34. I'm going to read the first three paragraphs, and then next week we will read the concluding paragraph. Sacrament of Baptism. We believe and confess that Jesus Christ, who is the end of the law, Romans 10.4, has by His shed blood put an end to every other shedding of blood that one could or would make as an expiation or satisfaction for sins. He has abolished circumcision, which involved blood, and has instituted in its place the sacrament of baptism. By baptism, we are received into the church of God and set apart from all other peoples and false religions to be entirely committed to him whose mark and emblem we bear. This serves as a testimony to us that he will be our God and gracious Father forever. For that reason, he has commanded all those who are his to be baptized with plain water into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 19. By this, he signifies to us that as water washes away the dirt of the body when poured on us, and as water is seen on the body of the baptized when sprinkled on him, so the blood of Christ by the Holy Spirit does the same thing internally to the soul. It washes and cleanses our soul from sin, and regenerates us from children of wrath into children of God. This is not brought about by the water as such, but by the sprinkling of the precious blood of the Son of God, which is our Red Sea, through which we must pass to escape the tyranny of Pharaoh, that is, the devil, and enter into the spiritual land of Canaan. Thus the ministers on their part give us the sacrament and what is visible, but our Lord gives us what is signified by the sacrament, namely the invisible gifts and grace. He washes, purges, and cleanses our souls of all filth and unrighteousness, renews our hearts, and fills them with all comfort, gives us true assurance of His fatherly goodness, clothes us with the new nature, and takes away the old nature with all its works. This afternoon we come to Lord's Day 26. How does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross benefits you? In this way, Christ instituted this outward washing and with it gave the promise that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly His blood and Spirit wash away the impurity of my soul, that is, all my sins. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and Spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means to receive forgiveness of sins from God through grace because of Christ's blood poured out for us 
in His sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with His Spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Where has Christ promised that He will wash us with His blood and Spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism, where He says, Go and therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. This promise is repeated where Scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. Beloved congregation of Jesus Christ, For most of us, the first time we went to church was not a memorable experience. At least not for us personally. It wasn't memorable. That's just to say that we don't remember it. We don't remember it because we were babies. Someone else carried us into church. Probably one of our parents. Maybe one of our grandparents. For most of us, our first time to church was at our baptism. At our baptism, we were helpless to do anything except maybe cry. We were brought to the front of the church by our father and mother, and we were baptized. We were baptized. Note that. We did not baptize ourselves. Rather, baptism was administered to us. Baptism is not something you do to yourself or for yourself. Instead, baptism is something that you have done to you. When baptism is administered, whether that's as an infant, as with most of us, or as an adult, as with some of us, you are a passive participant. God is the active participant. And in this way, baptism is a testimony to the sovereignty of God in our salvation. Baptism declares that we need to be washed and it is God who does the washing. Baptism is about what God does, what God promises to us. And so with the help of the catechism, we'll see this afternoon that God promises two things. He promises washing with Christ's blood and He promises washing with Christ's Spirit. Now before we look closer at those promises... I want to consider the institution of baptism as well. We find Christ instituting baptism at the end of His ministry here on earth, right before His ascension into heaven. And the passage most frequently quoted is Matthew 28, 18-20, what we often call the Great Commission. There the Lord Jesus commands the church to go out and make disciples of all nations. And baptism is a part of that. The church is to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now the Catechism quotes Matthew 28, 19 in question and answer 71. The Catechism asks, where has Christ promised that He will wash us with His blood and Spirit? And then the answer right away goes to the institution of baptism in Matthew 28, 19. Now, at first glance, this may seem odd. After all, Matthew 28, 19 doesn't sound like a promise, and it doesn't seem to mention washing either. 
but appearances can be deceiving. One of the key, the key things here is the very word baptizing. By definition, baptism is a kind of a washing. And although we instinctively connect it with the sacrament, we think of it in, in sacramental terms, you could say, in the New Testament context, you can't separate baptism and washing. Baptism is a kind of washing that takes place either through sprinkling or through immersion. doesn't really matter which. The original word can be used to describe both. The meaning and the power of baptism has nothing to do with the amount of water used or how that water is used. At any rate, washing is there in Matthew 28.19 with the word baptizing. But what about the promise? And this is where we have to look more closely at the Great Commission where it says, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In Scripture, God's name is God Himself. God as He has revealed Himself to us. So in the name of means that our baptism is a picture of communion with God. It doesn't so much mean that the minister is baptizing on behalf of God, which is God's representative, which he is. He is a minister of the word and sacraments. He's ministering for God. Rather, though, in the name of means that the one being baptized is being promised fellowship with the triune God. Baptism is a sign and seal of that promise. And so it makes sense then that the Catechism draws attention to this passage, first of all. The Lord Jesus is saying in the Great Commission that baptism is a washing that portrays fellowship with God. Baptism is a visible preaching of the Gospel. It announces that believers are washed with Christ's blood and Spirit and brought into communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's confirmed further by Mark 16, 16, Titus 3, 5, and Acts 22, 16. Now we can get to what it means that God promises washing with Christ's blood in baptism. God promises to wash us with Christ's blood. That's just another way of saying that God promises to declare us right with Himself because of what Jesus Christ did in His redemptive work. Washing with Christ's blood is simply another way of speaking about justification. What we dealt with back in Lord's Day 23 and Lord's Day 24. The seventh chapter of the Revelation to John gives a powerful picture of what God promises in baptism. Left to ourselves, we're dirty and unacceptable to God. Unacceptable in God's eyes. If we don't believe in Christ, God remains a judge who sees us as objects of His wrath, as those who deserve His his eternal judgment in hell. But what happens when we do believe in the Lord Jesus? When we rest and trust in Him? Well, then God becomes our Father. And He sees us as His children. He sees us as the people who are described in Revelation 7.14 as those who have had their robes washed. Their robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb in the blood of Jesus, through faith in Him. What happens then? Well, you know what happens if you're making a roast and you, you know, roast oftentimes has a lot of blood that comes with it. And and you know what happens when you get some of that blood on your clothes, right? 
Now, no one in their right mind would, would take that, that blood in the bottom of the pot and then pour it into their washing machine and use it to wash their laundry. Probably wreck your clothes. Probably leave them dirty and stinky. But the blood of Jesus is different. When we're washed with the blood of Jesus, we have our robes washed with the blood of Jesus, so to speak. We're made permanently white and clean. Being washed with the blood of Jesus means receiving the forgiveness of our sins from God. And note that it's receiving, not achieving. This is something that Christ does for us, apart from us. Forgiveness means that we are restored to a healthy, friendly relationship with God. Forgiveness means that He becomes our Father who loves us, who will always take care of us. All of this happens through the blood of Jesus. And you can see it in Revelation 7. All those people, a great multitude from every people, nation, tribe, language, all dwelling in God's presence, all of them before the throne of God, all of them serving God in His temple, God spreading His tent over them. Incredible picture there. It's an amazing picture here in Revelation 7 of what we can look forward to if we have been washed with the blood of Jesus Christ. Loved ones, this is what God promises to us in our baptism. Let's be clear about that. He promises washing with Christ's blood to us. And here we have to distinguish between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. And sometimes baptism is compared to a check. Someone gives you a check for a million dollars. Let's say you take that check and you look at it and you crumple it up and you put it in your pocket and you forget about it. And if that check ends up in the washing machine and you pull on your pants a few days later and you stick your hand in your pocket and then you pull out this tiny little wad of paper, what's this? Well, you've missed out on the million dollars, haven't you? You had the check, but you didn't bring it to the bank to cash it. You didn't deposit it. It's the same with God's promise of washing. When we were baptized, God promised us something far better than a million dollars. God promised us something so rich, so wonderful. The washing with Christ's blood. He proclaimed, I promise to declare you right with me through Jesus and His salvation. But you do have to believe this promise for it to become a reality. In other words, through faith in Christ, we bring the check to the bank and we receive what has been promised. So there's a call to faith here. And so there we have the, the first promise in baptism, washing with Christ's blood, making us right with God, justification. And next, God promises to wash us with Christ's Spirit. Well, that has to do with our sanctification. Now, sanctification has two aspects to it. One aspect is what we call definitive sanctification. In definitive sanctification, believers are set apart by God for service to Him. The other aspect is what we call progressive sanctification. And this is usually what we mean when we talk about sanctification. Progressive sanctification is the process by which 
we begin to look more and more like our Savior. Progressive sanctification is a process. A process that's only completed when we die or when the Lord Jesus returns, whichever happens first. And it's this progressive sanctification that's in view in the catechism in question and answer 70 and 71. When God promises to wash us with Christ's Spirit, that means that God promises to send the Holy Spirit to live in us. He promises to sanctify us so that we will live as members of Christ. And the catechism says, sanctified to be members of Christ. That's drawing attention to our union with Christ through the Holy Spirit and through faith. And the word members, members of Christ, that evokes the image of a body. As believers, we are united to Christ. We are His body. We have been grafted into Him. Same point was made in 1 Corinthians 6. And the result of that is a changed life. A life that is different. A life that is set apart for God. In baptism, God promises to make us into people who want to live a holy life. God promises in baptism that He will continue His renovation project in us to make us into those who increasingly reflect the image of Christ. Now you can see this illustrated in what we read from 1 Corinthians 6. In that chapter, the Apostle Paul writes about all sorts of people who who will not inherit the kingdom of God. People who will not be saved. He writes about adulterers. People who keep on having sex with someone they're not married to and never repent. He says adulterers will not go to heaven. Same goes for people who worship idols. Paul makes it clear that those engaging, those who go on engaging in homosexual activities and never repent, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the same with thieves, the greedy, the drunkards, the slanderers, those who talk bad about other people, and the swindlers, those who cheat and trick other people out of their money. All these people will never go to heaven so long as they continue in their sins, so long as they never repent. Don't confess their sins and seek forgiveness from God. And then Paul adds that surprising statement in verse 11. That is what some of you were. That is what some of you were. Some of the believers in the church of Corinth used to be those very people who cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Were. But now they're different. Something has changed and that something is the fact that they were washed. In other words, they were baptized. When they were baptized, God promised that they would be set apart as His people by the Holy Spirit. Believing in Jesus Christ, resting and trusting in Him, God would do that work. God would fulfill His promise. God would transform them into people who were different than what they formerly were. They become more and more dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Brothers and sisters, God has made the same promise to us in our baptism. God said, by my power and grace, you believe in Jesus Christ and I will do my work in you with the Holy Spirit. I promise to wash you and transform you. I will help you to kill your old nature and to live out of your new nature, which is united to Jesus Christ. 
Now, washing with Christ's Spirit doesn't mean that we instantaneously stop sinning. As long as we live on this earth, we will be sinners. We will continue to struggle with the remnants of our old nature. But God promises in our baptism that He will, all the while, be there with His Holy Spirit. He will help us to grow and to see the progress of holiness in our lives. He promises to lead us so that our union with Christ bears fruit in how we think and how we speak and in how we act. That's exactly what Paul says in Philippians 1.6 when he says that God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God will carry it on to completion. So you see, loved ones, baptism is about the Gospel. It's about the God who sovereignly saves us. It's about God who takes care of both our justification and our sanctification. You know, there are sometimes people who think that that justification is God's part and sanctification is our part. We, We put the two parts together and the result is salvation. Sort of like a math equation. right? God's part, justification, plus our part, sanctification, equals salvation. When it comes to salvation, the Bible tells us there is no math equation. There is no math equation. That's the bottom line with grace. Grace destroys math in our salvation. Everything we have is from God. God is 100% the author of our salvation. And if we're thinking that salvation is partly God's work and partly ours, we're missing the gospel of grace proclaimed to us by our baptisms. As the Bible says in Titus 3.5, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. And then Paul goes on to connect our redemption with our baptism. Not that we're saved because of our baptism, but that baptism portrays, it pictures the gospel which saves us. Our baptism announces loud and clear that God is sovereign in our salvation. That's also clear in Article 34 of the Belgian Confession. In the third paragraph, we confess that the minister gives us what is visible. Minister takes water in his hand and he sprinkles it on the one who is to be baptized. But there's more happening there because it is the Lord who gives us what the sacrament points to. The confession says that He washes, He purges, He cleanses our souls, He renews our hearts, He fills them with comfort. God gives assurance of His fatherly goodness. He clothes us with a new nature and He takes away the old nature with all of its works. All those verbs, and in every one of them, who is the subject? God. God is the one doing the actions. Baptism is about what God does. Now there's a lot that could be said about baptism. Probably have another six to ten sermons on this subject. But if you understand that one point, then you understand what's most important about this sacrament. This sacrament is a visual preaching of the gospel. In baptism we see 
with our eyes that God promises to wash us and to be our God. And He promises that we will be His people, that we will be His children and heirs, all because of Christ, all because of grace. And again, this afternoon, God is proclaiming His promises to you. God is saying to each and every one of us, you were baptized. So are you. And you. All of you. You received the sign and seal of My promises to you. What have you done with My promises? Have you taken Me seriously? Did you believe Me? God's promises are for you, beloved. Signed and sealed, guaranteed in your baptism. Take those promises seriously. Embrace them. Listen to what your God says and believe in Jesus Christ. Rest and trust in His blood, His obedience, His suffering, His death, His resurrection. Trust that Christ and Christ alone gives you forgiveness of sins and righteousness before God's face. With such faith, God will give you the assurance of having been washed with Christ's blood, having been declared right with Him, having all your sins, past, present, and future, forgiven. With such faith, simply resting and trusting in Christ, God will give you the washing with Christ's Spirit. God will increasingly transform your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. He will give you the strength to change to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. And in the end, you will join with the people of God before the throne of God, giving eternal praise to your God and Savior, saying together with them, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let's pray. Our faithful Father in heaven, we thank You for Your promises which are signed and sealed in baptism. We thank You for the Gospel that is so powerfully portrayed in baptism. We're grateful that You promise us both justification and sanctification and that You sovereignly work out both. We thank You that all of Your promises, all those wonderful things we've been hearing about this afternoon, are all yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that You would help us with Your Spirit to continue resting and trusting in Him. We pray that our faith would bear fruit in all we speak, think, and do. And Father, we also commend to You our young people who have yet to respond to Your promises by making profession of faith. Please work in them with Your Word and Spirit so that they joyfully and publicly embrace what You have promised. Please bless us and please hear us in Christ our Lord. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.